All right, yes, please remain standing for our scripture reading. Uh, at Sojourn, we go to the scriptures every week because it's there that the person and work of Christ are most clearly revealed for us. Our sermon this week uh, will be from the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Brandon will be beginning a series for us through the book of 1 John. Um, but first, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word. I pray that you would cause these words not simply to be words on a page or words on a screen, but that you would write these words onto our hearts. You'd bring them to life, cause them to be for us the very breath of life. Pray that you'd minister to us for our good and that you would help us to glorify you as we receive this teaching in Christ's name, amen. And now if you would listen to these words from 1 John chapter 1. These are God's words for his people. And so we would be wise to listen. Verse 1 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. All right, close enough. My name is Brandon, uh, one of the pastors uh, here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, I, I want to say up front, I, I know that Paul said it a minute ago, uh, but I, I love mornings like this. Uh, I, I don't want a morning like this every Sunday where technology fails, but I love uh, chances like this to be reminded of what the church is and what the church is not, to be reminded that the church is this people who come together for word and table, and that is not dependent on technology working. That said, before I start, if you're in the balcony or on the back row, uh, if at any point I, I turn more conversational and down in my, my voice, if you can't hear me, uh, just raise your arm, flag me, I will not be offended, and I will know to speak up so that you, uh, you are able to hear. Sound good? All right. Well, as he said, we are beginning a series uh, in the book of 1 John. In a lot of ways, 1 John is a uniquely interesting letter in the scriptures. Um, it is at times direct, confrontational. It's got some angst to it. It, it. it also has some of the great themes of the Bible woven into it. Uh, but where a lot of books have a clear, uh, logical progression to it, uh, that's not, not as true of 1 John. 1 John uh, these themes and images, they, 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 they kind of cycle their way through. Uh, the, the flow of thought is much more circular or symphonic than it is uh, linear. He'll state some themes, move away from them, come back to them with little uh, variations. And the reason for that, the reason for that is that First uh, John is written much more like a sermon than a letter. It it may actually have been a sermon. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but we know it lacks a number of the characteristics of ancient letters and has a number of characteristics of sermons, which takes me to the question I want to ask as we begin. 
before we actually get into the book of 1 John, I want to start with this question. What was in the heart of John as he wrote this letter? What, what did John feel when he sat down to pen 1 John? I ask that because sermons are not simply theological treaties. They are not spiritual monologues. They come from a deeply emotional place. So how would you describe John's? That emotional source that a sermon comes from, how would you describe it in John? Here's the answer. Anxious. Anxious. I'm stealing that line from a commentator who said John was anxious for the spiritual state of his people, that he was looking at this church or set of churches, and there was a clear uneasiness in his heart for them. And I want to I try to illustrate what I think John would have thought of or seen when he looked out at these churches as he wrote this letter. I want to try to illustrate it with the single most embarrassing injury of my adult life. Last Sunday, a number of you uh, observed me hobbling around up here. Let me tell you why. Saturday night, night before, uh, our, our neighbors are grilling, having people over. Uh, it's kind of a work party, some work friends. The, 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 his mom was over there. Our kids play together, and so we got the invite, and so we went. Uh, and we're, we're there, but he's got one of those virtual reality goggles, lenses things. Some of you know where this is going. So I put it on, and it's fun. I mean, I'm 43, and I felt like a kid, right, playing some different games. But one of them that he has was a 40-story plank walk where it simulates you're in an elevator, you go up the elevator, elevator doors open, and it feels like you're on a 40-story building with just a plank right there. And so you can YouTube this and watch the videos of people doing it. I mean, you are afraid. You're inching your way out. So I do it, and it's fine. It's whatever. And then I Put, take them off, and the guy says to me, hey man, you, you should really feel what it feels like to free fall the 40 stories and just fall off the plank. And I thought, oh yeah, I need that for sure. So I do it again, I go up the elevator, I, I inch my way out to the end, and instead of just stepping to the right and free falling, I get to the end and I yell, here I go, babe, to my wife, uh, and then I just jump headfirst into his entertainment center. The next day, my ankle is the size of an orange. Um, I still can't lift my arm above this, so I may be going to physical therapy because I'm 43 and I did that uh, this week. But here's the point. I think when John looked at this church or these churches he was writing to, I think he saw them on a plank. I think he saw them in danger, and this plank had nothing to do with virtual reality. He was writing to churches that he saw in real danger. And the question is why? And why should that matter to us? Why should the anxiety for these churches that he wrote to matter to you? Let's get into the text and see if we can find out. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands 
concerning the word of life. This is an interesting way to open this letter, and let me, let me tell you why. It's interesting because it would have been both very familiar to the reader, and it would have been how you'd have opened an address to a non-Christian. So here's what I mean. The, the, on one hand, the, the way that he introduced this um, would have been very familiar. This is John who wrote the Gospel of John. And he would have been drawing on John 1 and then back on Genesis 1, right? So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, which draws on Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This would have been a very familiar way to talk about the eternality of Jesus. So to the original reader, they would have heard this, and they'd have known he's talking about the uncreated Son of God. Would have been very familiar. But then he quickly turns to how you would address non-Christians. And he says, we, he's not just eternal, he became human. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. This would have been countercultural, a, a, a countercultural apologetic, if you will, to every other understanding of God in the ancient world. Every other understanding of God in the ancient world, God is a distant, remote deity. And this is John saying, no, 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 God came close. God became a man. This is giving proof. So why open a letter to these churches with such an apologetic bent to it? Why, why open and include a line that would have been how you address non-Christians. Why, why do that? The answer to that is going to take us to some of the angst that John was feeling as he wrote this letter. You see, here's what was going on. The backdrop to this letter is that there were groups of people who had left the church and then started this new community over here, and they were trying to take people with them. And the reason that they left was over doctrine. See, this is dealing with the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus is God who became a man, who is fully God and fully man, and both matter. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Everything to come in this letter is going to be built on the foundation that Jesus is the divine incarnate Son of God. I had a, a church history professor. I loved him. He was great. He was, his name was Dr. Bingham. He was 6'10", um, had these massive fingers. Y'all remember the movie Edward Scissorhands? That's what he was like. I mean, he just opened his hands and like fingers would just go forever. He was great. He used to say this. He, he used to use this analogy. He, he would say, if, 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 you, um, if you say to me, you're, you're holding an apple, but you describe the apple as having a really coarse exterior skin, bright orange in its color. They would say, no matter how passionate you are trying to tell me that that's an apple, it doesn't make it an apple, it's an orange. And he would say, if you are describing Jesus to me and you say, he is anything other than the divine incarnate Son of God, both fully God and fully man. No matter how passionate you are, that's a different Jesus. 
It's a different Jesus. And here's why this is important. Because if you have a different Jesus, then you do not have a Jesus who is the word of life. You have a Jesus who is the word of death. And this is the gravity. This is the gravity that John is writing with. And if you follow this group of people out of the church into a different doctrine of Christ, you leave the word of life to embrace the word of death. And because this is the gravity that he is writing with, John is going to use a slightly awkward break in verse 2. A slightly awkward break in his flow of thought where he does so to drive home a point and double down on something. And so let's read verse 2. So, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Here's what John is doubling down on here. He is doubling down on the eternality of Jesus, that Jesus is the uncreated Son of God, eternally existing. And in doing so, we get a window into one of the things that John is countering in this letter. We get a window into one of the teachings that John is countering, and here it is. It's that Jesus is simply a religious teacher, but not divine. A teacher, but not God. Someone here to tell you the path to eternal life, but not someone who can actually offer you eternal life. And I want you to see the way John counters this. It's nuanced, but it's important. Look what he says. I'm going to read it again. The life, that's Jesus, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Do you see it? He doesn't simply say that Jesus offers you eternal life. He says that Jesus is eternal life. All right, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. See, I, I think this is a particularly key point in the flow of thought for John because you've probably heard something like this. You've probably heard something like, you can't offer or give away something that you don't possess. Right, so for example, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, I cannot offer you a million dollars because I don't have a million dollars. I can offer you a trip to Alma Latina. That is what I can offer you. I can't offer you a house in Malibu because I don't have a house in Malibu. And John is saying, exactly. Jesus can offer you eternal life because he is eternal life. You can't offer what you don't have. Jesus can offer you eternal life because he is eternal life. You see, every other religion, every other religion under the sun, every single one is going to flow something like this. There's going to be a teacher who says, follow this set of teachings, do this set of rituals over the course of a lifetime, and you can have this version of eternal life but it's not going to have someone saying, I can give it to you. 
I am it and I can give it to you. Or if I could maybe try to apply this into more of our context, uh, generally speaking, um, varieties of religions, competing religions, isn't uh, the, the, the challenge most of us are faced with. Most of us are, cha- are, are more faced with uh, living in um, this, a modern and Western, uh, more secular society, which would say something like this, if I could use John's term. You, you, you want the life that you really want? You want the life that you want? Let me tell you what you need. You, you need sexual freedom. I mean, you need sexual freedom. Or you need financial freedom. You need to be able to have all the sex you want with whoever you want to have it with. Or you, you, you need to have enough money that you don't have to think about money. With no ability, with no resource to deal with the emotional baggage that will come from pursuing sexual freedom or the fallout, the fallout from greed taking over your life. And in the end, they will not offer you the life that you actually want. And John is saying, there is someone who can offer you the life that you want and can offer it to you eternally. And now, he's going to transition back to the main line of thought, and he's going to get to the so what statement. The here is why this matters statements. Here's why you need to hear what I'm saying, John would say. So I'm going to read verse 1 again, jump to verse 3, and see the flow of thought. There's how it goes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, so that, circle those words, so that. Generally, almost any time you see that in the scriptures, circle it. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here's the why this matters. So that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So what is this word fellowship? It's, it's not, you know, common everyday language. It's one of those distinctly Christian terms. I'm guessing no coworker of yours has ever come to you and said, hey, do you have lunch plans? I could really use some fellowship today. My neighbor has never come over and said, hey, Brandon, you're grilling. I need some fellowship. So what is it? What does this word mean? Well, it's, it's a word in the New Testament for a distinctly spiritual relationship. It shows up first in Acts 2, birth of the church, devoted to the fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, apostles' teaching. And here's the way that John is using it. It's got some gravity to it. Here's the way John is using it. He's saying, if, if you stay in a spiritual relationship with us, then you have a spiritual relationship with the Father and the Son. But if, if you leave us and enter into this kind of relationship with them, the ones leaving the church, new doctrine of Christ, then you risk losing your relationship with the Father and the Son. And so do we now see why John sees them as on a plank in real danger? 
John is saying to them and to us, if you walk away from us, you walk away from Jesus. And a 40-story free fall will be the least of your concerns. Because a 40-story free fall will cost you your life. Walking away from Jesus will cost you eternal life. And this has nothing to do with virtual reality. And this opens up a real theological debate, right? If you walk away from Jesus, does that mean you lost your salvation? Or does that mean you were never really a Christian to begin with in the first place? It's an important question that John doesn't get into because the call is the same. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. And I need to invite you into some angst for our church that I feel, that our staff feels, that the rest of our pastors feel. It has been a tough year, a long season for us all and for our neighbors, for everyone. And on the back side, on the back side of what has been a very long year, there is one glaring reality. And it's that a number of us are not as present as we once were. And there is real danger in not prioritizing gathering on Sundays. There is real danger in not prioritizing life in community because you can't live the rest of this letter if you don't. You simply cannot live the rest of the letter if you don't. The rest of this letter, John is going to be prescribing what it looks like to live in a relationship with Jesus. And he's going to say things that like pure doctrine and obedient living and increased devotion. And as we make our way through the letter of 1 John, we're going to find out that we can either actively pursue Jesus or we will passively drift away from him. You will actively pursue or you will passively drift. And both active pursuit and passive drift, they both happen through a series of small decisions over the course of a lifetime. So I want to ask this question. What direction are the seemingly small decisions you are making in your life pointing you? Are these seemingly small decisions that you make over the course of a lifetime, are they pointing you toward an active pursuit of Jesus or are they pointing you in the direction of a passive drift? What direction are they pointing you? I know some will want examples. I, I don't want to give examples. I, I, I want you in community to examine your life and examine it with others. I want you to be willing to ask questions like, are Sundays a priority? Is life in community? Is prayer? Is the Bible? I know, I know, even bringing this up in the season that we're still in, 
for some will be upsetting. I genuinely wish to offend no one. And this would have been the application point even if we were not coming out of a pandemic. But we are, and it's felt more acutely right now. Let's look at verse 4 and let John bring this together for us. Verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's interesting that he says, our joy. We're writing these things, this introduction, and then what's to come in the letter. It's interesting that he says, our joy and not your joy. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm writing this, this letter, it's so that your joy might be complete. It's, I'm writing this so that our joy might be complete. In a real sense, this is a very pastoral moment from John to these churches. That our joy is made complete by you staying in a relationship with God. Our joy is made complete by you not walking away. And in a real sense, in a real sense, he is representing Christ to them. Representing Christ who in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy sitting out before him endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? You were. You were. You were the joy set before him. The church that John is writing to is the joy set before him that Jesus died to have a relationship with you. Jesus died to have a relationship with you. And how did our text begin? It began with that which was from the beginning. Which means, which means you in relationship with God was always plan A. Always plan A. Listen, no, no matter what mess you brought in here with you, no matter what your life has looked like, you are not God's plan B. You are not. Relationship with you was always God's plan A, so don't walk away. Don't walk away. Feel the gravity of the text that John is going to write. And if you would say, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian, John would say, you can be. And you can be the joy that Jesus died for. Sojourn, with all of our mess, with all of your mess, and we have plenty of it, you were and you are sitting in the heart of God as his plan A. Don't walk away. I am not unaware of the likelihood that some of us in this room or some of us online feeling that drift right now. And I'm not unaware that some of us who are not feeling that drift could one day. And we need to feel the angst of John in the letter of 1 John. We need to feel the gravity with which he's going to write and he's going to make some direct statements right to us.
don't walk away. And Sojourn, let's take the next number of weeks, 12, 13 weeks, and let's take the words of 1 John seriously. Let's take the words seriously and see what it means, what it looks like to live this relationship out. Knowing, knowing, feeling, sensing the gravity with which and the seriousness with which John is writing. Let's pray. Father, I, I again confess the I'm not sure what it feels like or how to articulate it. I do wish to offend no one, but I do hope that we all feel the weight and the gravity of your scriptures and your word and what was in the heart of John as he wrote this letter. I pray that we would see it for us today, now, that we would take these words seriously over the next 12, 13 weeks. That we would see what it looks like to walk out and live this pure doctrine, obedient living, increased devotion. That we might have this ever-increasing, ever-deepening, ever-more intimate relationship with you. We will need your grace and your mercy for that. So we ask for it, and we ask for it in the name of your incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen.